What's up, everybody? It is 420. Happy 420 to everyone. I am coming to you from the Mile High City. It is such a beautiful day today, and I thought it would be fun to do a little history of 420 and of marijuana here in the United States as I roll and smoke with you all. So, when we think about 420, do we even know you're also going to get some great ASMR <laughs> with this with this episode. So I was doing some research this morning and I was thinking, why do we even call it 420? And upon my research, I found that it was actually just from a group of kids originally. So according to Time Magazine, 420 can be traced to 1971 when a group of five students at San Rafael High School in Marin County, California, became uh, began meeting at 4.20 p.m. every day to smoke marijuana. Um, the actual numbers, 4.20, don't have much symbolic significance. Um, but the students, who were Steve Capper, Dave Reddix, Jeffrey Knoll, and Larry Schwartz, and Mark Gravich, they chose to get together at this time because by that time, extracurricular activities for school were uh, usually over. Uh, the high schoolers engaging in an activity that was strictly illegal at the time, started to use 420 as code for marijuana, Times reported. Years later, one member of the group, Riddix, got a gig working as a roadie for the Grateful Dead, bassist Phil Lesh. So then by 1990, a group of Grateful Dead fans was spreading the word of the ritual by distributing flyers, um, inviting people to smoke 420 on April 20th at 420 p.m. So um, I thought that was a little bit of, of interesting history. But, you know, cannabis also has a really interesting history in terms of uh, the United States specifically and how it has been criminalized and how one could argue it is actually going through an additional colonization at the moment as we see dispensaries really taking over everything and having control of the market. So... If you're looking to decolonize your cannabis consumption, I would recommend finding your local plant entrepreneur and supporting them. There's actually a brand, uh, Flavors Only, 303, on Instagram. Um, it's all craft cannabis. It's dried and then hand-trimmed. Um, so that's a great way to start decolonizing your life. <laughs> I have always loved weed, but have never learned to roll a proper joint, so I am relying on these wonderful cones. My homie Tabir taught me how to roll, and the first one I rolled, he told me, looked like a tampon, so we've got some work to do. <laughs> I've also been thinking a lot about cannabis usage lately, and one of my girls told me often, well, let me back up. I felt like I was using it a lot, and it's a very stressful period of my life right now, and so I understand that that is part of it, and we all have our coping mechanisms, but I believe wellness culture will really have you tricked into thinking that 
alcohol is bad and weed is bad and like everything is bad and you have to live the sober lifestyle and it has to be ultra healthy and I suppose I'm getting a little more curious as for like for what what is the ultimate benefit because if it's just about leading a happy healthy life I can tell you for sure that smoking a joint at the end of the day makes me a way better person <laughs> having a glass of wine and just hitting pause for a moment makes me a way better person and I understand that this can be really challenging especially if individuals have um, a less than positive history or even family um, experience with substance use so I get that and I think there's just a lot of unnecessary shame that a lot of us even as regular um, cannabis consumers or alcohol drinkers um, might be internalizing and not even realizing. So I think another element of decolonizing our life and our practices is realizing that this is a plant medicine and that looking at the way it f in impacts our lives and if those impacts are much more positive and maybe we can even take some time to become even more intentional about it, um, that there doesn't need to be any shame around that. I'm working on that. <laughs> well, we are all ready and rolled. Oh, this is so delicious. I'm smoking cream sizzle right now, which is a cross between runts and creamsicle. And it's so funny because my dog, every time I smoke, comes to kick it. <laughs> And he loves when we smoke outside because then he gets to hang out. My friends always clown me because I hold the joint in my fingers like a woman in the 1940s smoking a cigarette. <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> I want to talk to you all a little bit about marijuana in the United States. So I'm reading from a blog titled For the People. There's an article here um, discussing regulation, scare tactics, and prohibition. So in the 1910s, smokable weed came to the U U.S. by two routes. Mexican refugees brought it through Texas after the Mexican Revolution. And this is why um, we stopped calling marijuana cannabis and began using the word marijuana. Um, so that was the first route. And then also sailors and immigrants from the Caribbean brought it to New Orleans and the jazz community. So only a few years went by not even a few, one year, and Massachusetts was the 
first state to require a prescription for Indian hemp in 1911. And then between 1913 and 1933, 29 states criminalized cannabis. So this is a fairly mm, recent um, thing that we're seeing. And the ironic part is that we were using hemp for everything. Um, the U.S. Constitution was written on hemp. We were using hemp for sales of boats and clothing and other textiles. So hemp and cannabis has, have been around forever, but it wasn't until we saw immigrants bringing it for leisurely enjoyment and medicinal value um, that the U.S. really decided that this was going to be something, one, that they were going to criminalize, and then two, uh, that they were going to profit off of. So I'll read you this next part. It says, with Mexican refugees immigrating to the U.S. Uh, and black people migrating to northern cities, the complexion of America was changing, and certain white populations took issue with the increased diversity and competition to work. For work, excuse me. This fear translated culturally. As young white people were connecting with black culture through the Harlem jazz scene, people like Henry Anslinger were afraid of black men seducing white teenagers. So this guy, Henry Anslinger, he was associated with the Prohibition Department. So this guy is like no fun at all. There's a quote from him here. Please note, this is a quote. This is not my language. Quote, there are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and other. Uh, Anslinger, who was an associate in the Prohibition Department, became the first head of view of of the Bureau of Narcotics in 1930. He helped spread radical misinformation and propaganda about the marijuana that one puff can make you permanently insane, for example. And since so little was actually known about the drug, the public largely believed it. This created a culture of pot paranoia exemplified by 1936's reefer madness. This is a film that lied about the effects of drugs in order to reinforce hysteria. Anslinger consistently connected marijuana and its fabricated dangers to communities of color. So the control of marijuana is directly rooted in racism, and I do not believe that the majority of us understand that. And I believe that's also an element of shame that exists when we are using it and it feels good and we know it's good for us. Um, but the way that our culture has been telling us otherwise and policing it, um, there's so many messages and uh, beliefs that are spread not only through epigenetics, but also just subconsciously. Um, it would be virtually impossible to live in a society in which, to live in a white supremacist society um, and and not have internalized some of those beliefs. And that doesn't mean that we're all wanting to be white supremacists. That means that we might have trouble with um, believing who we are or growing in a society or connecting with ourselves or our culture because that little voice in the back of our head, even if we don't hear it so clearly, has been so deeply ingrained in us. Um, there's a phenomenal book. So this book titled My Grandmother's Hands is phenomenal and talks specifically about racialized trauma um, and the pathway he writes to mending our hearts and bodies. And so if that's something that you're interested in, in terms of understanding how genetics play a role in trauma, I cannot recommend this book enough.
You know, I also had a high thought the other day. I wasn't going to share it because it might be silly, but I'm already smoking weed on a podcast, so we can't get much sillier than that. <laughs> My reputation is down the drain. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about the involvement of the breath in smoking and thinking about how if if we are not actively practicing breath work, smoking is likely the only time that we're actually focusing on our breath, focusing on inhaling, focusing on holding, and focusing on exhaling. Um, and I thought that was, that was curious. I suppose you could do a four-sided breath. Let's do that together, actually. Let's inhale for four. Hold. Exhale. And hold. That was kind of fun. Let's do that again. Inhale. Hold. Exhale. And hold. <laughs> so if you've come to smoke and stretch, you will know that that is one of my favorite breath exercises. It's so accessible. It's so easy. You can do it anywhere. And you're just drawing a box while you're breathing. So going up inhale for four counts or six counts or eight counts, as many counts as you want just make it so that there's a little bit of effort when you're having to hold but not so much that you're turning blue in the lips or <laughs> feeling like your abs are constricting because there's so much tension to hold it you want it to be still nice and relaxed maybe 30 percent effort so you inhale for x amount of counts you hold for x amount of counts and you're drawing the second side of the box and then you exhale again uh, for the same amount of counts, that's your third side, and then you hold it one more time, closing the box. That's your that's your box breathing. Well, I hope this was fun for you. It was very fun for me. Um, I'm excited to be connecting with you all again. I'm really grateful to be connecting you all again. This podcast helps me process so much. It helps me think about what needs to be done in the community, y'all's feedback, y'all's discussions, y'all's questions, y'all's reviews. Also, wink, wink, please review on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you're listening. Please take a moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. But I just, uh, I just love it here. So thank y'all for being so kind, even in the times that I had to step back. And I'm really excited to be here. And I'm wishing you all a beautiful, lifted, juicy 420. <laughs> Besos. <laughs>